0: Welcome home. I'm John Hernandez, and you have tuned in to the CFA Church podcast. If you have any questions about CFA Church, feel free to visit us at cfachurch.com. We pray that you would walk away from this moment loving Jesus and changing the world. Enjoy the podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Well, good good morning. What a privilege and honor for me and my wife, Karen. Who's joined me uh, to be with you all? We've been looking forward to this day for quite some time. Why? Because we love getting to know new friends and connecting and get re- uh, reacquainted with some good friends as well that we know that are here. In fact, I uh, uh, the Zepps, uh, those friends that are dear to us that attended our church uh, that we had the privilege to pastor in Chicago are here. So thank you for coming and and being here this morning. But what a privilege! Thank you, Pastor Doug and Camden, for your, your hospitality and invitation. I love your pastor. Uh, same reason why you love your pastor. Here's why he's real, he's authentic, he's genuine, he's transparent, and he loves Jesus with all of his heart. And he models that well. And that's why you are a church that is loving Jesus and changing the world and I'm grateful for his leadership. And he serves on the board of trustees for Southeastern University, and there's never a time that I'm not with him that I walk away from our conversation where he has encouraged me and he's challenged me. And that's what I love about him. So grateful for you and for your leadership here and what you do for these wonderful people who wanna grow and learn what it's all about to know Jesus. And what what a privilege to partner with you in educational stewardship for the call of God on so many lives that he brings your way. And, and you make me feel right at home with all the SEU t-shirts today. Wow, I feel like I'm right back on campus. But actually, I am on campus, right? Right here at, at Southeastern University here at, at CFA. And, and I'll tell you, you know, our mission is to help students that God sends our way to discover... And develop their divine design, the way they're made, created, wired, the passions, the gifts, the experiences that he puts in their lives. We get to, to come alongside and pour educational wisdom and knowledge so they can go out and, and fulfill the call that God has on their lives. And there's no greater privilege, and we get to do that together. We get to do it together, to come alongside a generation that God is raising up to serve Jesus, to serve the church, and to literally serve the world. So we are grateful we have that opportunity to partner together. Well, let's look to the word this morning. What a powerful time of worship already. Amen. Amen. Just to enter into his presence and to be reminded and give thanks and praise for who he is and what he means to our lives. And worship is very important because the scripture says he inhabits the praises of his people. And so he's here and he wants to speak to us and challenge us now from his word. That's what builds our faith. Faith comes from hearing, and hearing comes from the word of the Lord. So we want to look to His word this morning, and I—this I, I, is it. I simply want to encourage all of us, encourage you, and, and and even encourage myself that we walk out of here this morning, that we walk out of here this morning without a doubt, understanding and realizes that God specializes in the impossible, in the impossible. And I want to share with you three life values that I think are extremely important in our awareness and understanding as we follow Christ. That that he does specialize in the impossible, but more importantly, that he specializes in the impossible in your life. And this day, no matter what you're facing and what you're going through and what you're experiencing in life... How many know that when you, uh, when you write a letter to somebody, you want to end that letter right? In fact, when you end it, it's the most important thing. I think we have probably lost the art of writing a letter, by the way, with all the, you know, we have emails and direct messaging and Twitter and Instagram and all these quick, that we forget to, you know, sometimes it's good to sit down and just kind of write. Uh, because when you sit down and start writing, you start reflecting. And as you reflect, what happens, it, start com- it starts to come out of your heart and especially when you get to the end of the letter, uh, it, you want to communicate something pretty powerful that you want that person to remember. I, uh, my wife and I, we will have cele- we'll celebrate 33 years of marriage this coming June, and uh, <laughs> grateful for God putting her in my life. I call her Jehovah's Nudge, uh, because that's exactly what she does all the time, uh, and, and so grateful for her. But um, I, I would write her letters, especially before we got married. Um, and uh, we were looking, she saved him, and we were looking at some of them not too long ago. And one of the letters that uh, I wrote at the very end, you know, you, you get really reflective. And, and, I, and I remember writing at that very end, and, and I simply said this, Boy, if I could turn the clock back, I would have found you sooner and loved you longer. Oh... <laughs> and uh, and then then it was I think it was like just about a, a not too long right before we were about to get married, and I remember writing uh, her the letter, and at the very end, I, I just said, as we are about to begin our journey together, I just want you to know, Karen, I, I'm always going to love you without condition, I'm always going to listen without judging you. I'm always going to care without." Great expectation. And I just want you to know, as long as we do life together, that I will give without any reason whatsoever because I love you. You want to convey what's on your heart and deep. Words matter, especially at the end of the letter. And one of my favorite books in the Bible, especially in the New Testament, is the book of James, a powerful letter on what it means to follow Christ and all the issues that are important in challenging us to grow in our relationship with the Lord. But, but I love that he gets to, at the very end of the letter, he gets to this, some pretty important words powerful words that he's conveying from his heart that he really wants us to apply to our lives and it's found in in james chapter 5 so if you have your bibles with you if you want to look to this passage whatever form you have electronic iphone you know Android, whatever it is or you maybe actually have have a real bible in your hands let's turn to uh, james 5 verses 17 through 20 but here's what he pens at the end of this letter He says, Elijah was human even as we are, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it didn't rain on the land for three and a half years. Again, he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, the earth produced its crops. My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back, remember this, those who turn sinners from the error of their ways will save them from death and cover a multitude of sins. The final words of James. And what does he do? He references a prayer. It's a miraculously answered prayer that happened hundreds and hundreds of of years prior to this letter that he's writing. And and, and let's let's look at the context here. He's talking about Elijah. And Elijah's a, a prophet in the Old Testament. And it's the job of a prophet to always make sure that the people of God are honoring God that, you know, when leaders don't honor God, when the people don't honor God, even when the priests don't honor God, the prophet has to step in and the prophet has to say and declare, Hey, you've, you've got to straighten up your act. You've got to get it together. You've got to repent of your sins. You, you, you've got to get back on board and put your hand in, in God's hand. I mean, it's really important that you be in right relationship with God to experience all that God has for you. And during Elijah's time, there had been this this bad streak of behavior in Israel, not just of the people, but the worst streak of behavior was happening in the leadership from one king to the next, to the next. In fact, there's a little phrase in the Old Testament that happens around the time of, of Elijah that says things got so bad, so evil that wickedness became a trivial thing. People got so accustomed to the the corrupt and violence going on, the hatred going on uh, in the leaders of Israel. And then when everybody thought it couldn't get worse, King Ahab comes on the scene and he was the worst of the worst. Things really went south under King Ahab. So Elijah the prophet, he's he he's got to get the people of, God, people of Israel back to God. And, and he doesn't know what to do. And he's, 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 he's been talking to the leaders, and they won't listen. He talks to the people, and they won't listen. They, so he says, what, what's going to bring this nation to their knees and repent and get back in a relationship with God? So he doesn't know what to do. And he can't think of anything until all of a sudden he's, wow, you know what? Maybe maybe for example a natural disaster might happen maybe a famine would occur maybe if there was drought in the land there was no food people would realize that that we're in a terrible mess and we can we can't get out of it we can't solve this by ourselves maybe they would get back on their knees repent and turn back to god one problem how do I do that? I can't. I can't create a drought. I can't. I can't do that. How, how do you get a drought done? So Elijah, you know, he's he's contemplating all these things, and then all of a sudden, and again, I believe that's the spirit of the Lord who begins to nudge, begins to impress, and all of a sudden he's thinking, "Wait a minute. Wait a minute. If if God is God, and God can do the supernatural, and He's the God of the impossibility." He could create a drought. He could superintend on the natural order, shuffle the high pressure system, the low pressure system, and and, and, and all of that, clock them around so that there would be no rain in the land. Elijah thinks all of this over and concludes yes. If I pray and I believe God can do the supernatural. So by faith, can you imagine... This prayer, can you imagine Elijah, dear God, close up the heavens. And he's praying, and and I know you can close up the heavens. No rain, God. Uh, He prays the prayer, and what does God do? God immediately responds. There's not rain. In fact, there's no rain for three and a half years, the Bible says. And what does it do? It drives the nation of Israel to their knees. They repent, and they get back into relationship with God. And then Elijah, after a while, Elijah says, okay, God, I think, I think, I think they've come back to you and, and now they're serving you enough is enough, God, and now I believe that you can shift everything around again, the systems the other way, bring back those low-pressure systems over the land, and rain will fall. And so once again, he begins to pray that prayer of faith uh, to the God who can do anything, the supernatural, the God of the impossible, and he prays by faith, and it says all of a sudden it begins to rain and the crops are restored. The size of this miracle was so vast was such that it was passed from fathers to fathers, mothers to our fathers to sons, mothers to daughters from generation to generation all the way up to the writing of this book in 1st century AD. And James is referencing it right at the end of his letter. Brothers and sisters, Hear my final words. Never underestimate the power of God. And his letter, when you read that whole letter of James, I mean he talks about character, he talks about suffering. When you when you go into that, he talks about the power of words. He talks about the power of discipline. But his closing words are much more powerful. They're coming from the heart, impressed by the Holy Spirit. He's telling them, Man, you're marching off to an uncertain future. There's gonna be some trouble. Along the way, there's going to be difficulty. You're going to face pain on the journey. But don't despair. Don't get hopeless. He says, understand this key value. Never underestimate the power of God in your life and in your circumstance. In fact, isn't that reminiscent of Jesus' words? That he told his disciples... That he told his followers, with man, this is impossible, but with God, what? All things are possible. And friends, if you think about the underlying presupposition of, really, when you think about our entire Christian faith, is that God can do Whatever he wants to do. God can do miracles. He can change lives. He can, he's always been capable of that throughout history. I mean, he's capable now. He's capable in the future. What's going on in your life? When you look throughout the whole Old Testament, well, how does God speak? He speaks through burning bushes. He parts seas. He drops manna from heaven. He, 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 he causes upsets in, in battles. What's the message throughout the Old Testament? All things are possible with God. What happens? You come into the New Testament. What's the first thing that you see? All of a sudden you see a star over a stable. And a Savior is born who can change your life, my life, forever, for eternity, and then you see healings as Jesus traveled from town to town, city to city, uh, uh, teaching, astonishing teaching, doing miracles, healings, all of this, and then when the early church begins, you start in the book of Acts, we read that signs and wonders happened in the early church, people stood in the awe of the power of Almighty God, and a number of things, a number of times, a number of experiences, a number of things happened where the supernatural broke into the experience, and it changed hearts and it changed lives. Fundamental to this whole notion of our faith is that with God, all things are possible. But listen carefully this morning. There's a huge difference in just accepting that premise as a theological premise and actually proving it to be true in your life in your circumstance I mean if I said raise your hand everybody if you believe man well God you know I you know true or false I how many think God can do all things I I I think most of us would say yeah yeah all of you say true he can do all things but if I said right now let's go a little deeper let's let's really look at this how many of you are willing to pray some risky Prayers, risky prayers. How many of you are willing to take some steps of faith and go way out on a limb in your circumstance and prove the supernatural power and presence of Almighty God in your life, in your circumstance, in your experience? Now, that separates the tire kickers from the buyers, let me tell you right now. The reality. Of his presence in your life. But once you pray the prayer of faith. Here's the second thing. Now you must trust. In God's answer. Now you must trust. In how he's going to provide. What he wants to do in your life. To lead you and guide you in his purpose. In his plan. An answer that is best. In your situation. Let me tell you another story that has a focus on the God of the impossible. One of my favorite heroes in in scripture is David. I love David. I heard about him starting when I was a little kid in Sunday school. Of course, he's the guy that slew Goliath, and he had a lot of courage and stand up and do what God called him and anointed him to do. Of course, as I got older and I began to study, more of the scripture, and, and, and I learned that, wow, he was a renaissance man. I mean, he was a writer, he was a poet, he was a musician, he was a politician. I mean, he was a statesman. This guy was, he had a, a tremendous love for God. In fact, God said he, he was a man after his own heart because of his love. But we also know, if you read the story of David's life, there was a time in his life when he made a terrible mistake. The story tells us about that mistake, how he committed adultery with a woman named Bathsheba. Scripture says that he compounded that sin by basically murdering Bathsheba's husband and then taking Bathsheba for his own wife. Then it says that the two had a child. God disciplined David for the sin of adultery and the sin of murder. And one of the ways that God chose in this circumstance to discipline David is that he announced to David that his newborn son that he had just had with Bathsheba was going to fall ill and would die. And David heard that news and he knew it was because of his sin and his disobedience to the Lord. The Bible tells us that immediately David lay flat down on the floor of the palace and he didn't shave and he didn't eat, and he didn't drink, and he didn't change his clothes, and it says he just wept, and wept, and wept, and fasted, and fasted, and he prays for for seven straight days. And his entire staff, all of these government leaders surrounding his life are gathering uh, around him, and they can't figure out what's going on. Why is he in such despair, and he's distraught? Meanwhile, His child is getting weaker and weaker and weaker. And David just stays face down. I mean, we're talking 24 hours a day, seven days, wailing, praying, fasting. The Bible tells us the child dies. Some of his staff gather around, they... They're now, they don't, they don't know what to do. You know, uh, David's been in bad shape for seven days. How, how are we going to go in and tell him? If we go in and tell him, he, he, you know, the baby's gone. In fact, Scripture tells us, if you read that context, Scripture tells us that they were so worried about going into telling David that his child died, they thought David might kill himself out of sadness and guilt. But they knew they'd have to tell him sooner or later, so the story, they go in timidly, Into where David was. And they tell David. They tell him that his child. Has died. And you know what David does. He gets up. Says he showers. He puts on clean clothes. He he asks for food. And then immediately. He walks over to the temple. And it says he kneels down. And he just begins to worship God. And he begins to praise him. And he begins to thank him. And he says, God, I still love you. I love you. And I will be faithful to you. And I will trust you. And, 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 and he comes back and he starts going about his business. And his staff, they're completely perplexed at his behavior. In fact, the scripture says, one of them says to David, David, while your child was alive, you were on the floor. And you were in anguish. And then you learn your child dies. And you go off. And you clean yourself up, and, and you, you eat, and, and you start going about your business. What gives? What's going on? And here's David's response. And I want to tell you this morning, this is a phrase that has been foundational to my life journey. And what I've had to experience, and I've, I've had to go through in my life. And, and it's David responding, responding to his, his staff, and it's found in 2 Samuel chapter 12. Verse 22, and it says this. It says, while the child was still alive, David says, I fasted and wept. And I thought, who knows? The Lord may be gracious to me and let the child live. And in that passage, here's what I want you to notice this morning, is the second key life value. Who knows? Two words. Who knows what God says? might do in the midst of your circumstance." David knew that God had pronounced judgment on his child. David knew that God had predicted what was going to happen as a result of his own sin. But here's David, flat on his face, saying, while there is still one breath left in the lungs of my child, I'm going to pray, I'm going to fast, I'm going to believe that you will do the supernatural, that you will answer prayer. Who knows, God, you might be gracious. You might do a miracle. You might step in and change the whole circumstance. Who knows? But David says, I've got to lean into hope. I've got to lean into faith. I can't despair. I can't can't give up. I've got to lean into the possibility that God's power can be brought in to this situation. But then what does David say? But when the child died, this is important. When the child died, I realized it was time to get up and move on. He says in verse 23, But now that he is dead, why should I go on fasting? Can I bring him back again? No, I will go to him. He will not return to me. How many of us, and I'm talking to myself here as well, most of the time, what do we do? In the difficult, in the challenging circumstances in our life, we think of the worst case scenarios pertaining to our future and what's going to happen next. But this text says, why don't you orient your mind toward a best case scenario? Why don't you use the words David used? Who knows? God might be gracious in the midst of this circumstance, God might do the supernatural. Let's find out what God might do. I remember the first 10 years of my my uh, life, I was a uh, God opened doors and I became a television anchor. Actually started at the age of 18 at the NBC affiliate in Bakersfield, California. And 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 it was just an incredible journey and actually got opened the door where I went up a few markets and ended up being in Los Angeles at the number 2 market in the country and, and was able to do television sports, and my first assignment I'll remember, never forget, was the 1984 Olympics at the Coliseum, and I had the privilege to uh, uh, be the one that reported on the track and field for the television networks, and so I got to inter- interview Carl Lewis when he won his four gold medal. I mean, just an amazing, God just opened up door, and I thought, wow, I'm, I'm, this is it. I'm going to be here for the rest of my life, and all of a sudden, God, the Holy Spirit, begin to nudge me. Ever feel some of those nudges sometime in your life? And he began to to nudge me. It was this tough nudge. He began to say, Kent, um, I want you to leave this amazing career and I want you to go into Christian leadership in some fashion, in some way. And I'll open the doors, but I want you to step out. And I remember starting to get those nudges and thinking you're you're mistaken god no you can't no you know, you've opened the doors for me to be a part of it. Come on, come on. I mean, look, I, I can be a great witness. I can, I can share. I mean, you know, God, this is awful. <laughs> you know, what are you doing? I mean, there goes my freedom. There goes the money. I was doing all right. And, and, and there goes all the perks that come with something like that. And, and, and oh, no, I'm going to have to wind up in some church somewhere and do some pastor stuff. And I don't think I'm wired for that. And I just kept, you know, going back and forth and back and forth. And I started spinning out all of these worst-case scenarios, God. If, if I do this, this is what's good. Oh, no, no, you can't be right. But then I kept going back. Kent, what have I taught you in your life? In all the difficulties that you've gone through, and I went through some tough things. I lost my dad when, when I was still in college. My best friend died of a massive heart attack. He was only 43 years of age and gone just like that. Two years later, my only sibling, my sister and her husband, were they were youth pastors at a church, and they had just come back from a, an outing, and they dropped all the kids off, and they were heading home, and a drunk driver came around the corner, hit them on, and they were killed instantly. Half my family Gone. In a, in a short period of time. I mean, I went through a lot of tough stuff. And God leading me in this, but he always kept bringing back to me, wait, what did I teach you? Didn't, didn't I teach you out of the life of David? Who knows? Who knows what I can do? Who knows how I can step in and guide you and open the doors? You know, who knows God could be gracious in this calling. Who knows the adventure that he's about to take me on might be better than, than the one I'm currently in that I think is the best and greatest. Who knows, God might use my life to a greater degree somewhere else than, than he, he is using currently in my life. But I got to lean into that. And so I, I, I accepted that call and I left television and started going to ministry. And one of the greatest opportunities he gave my wife and I was to go into Northwest Los Angeles and and a church that they were about to close and we, God put together a great team and we began to replant that church and the moment we were obedient and faithful to do that, God's spirit began to pour out in that city, in that community and, and hundreds and hundreds of lives be, started getting, uh, into, uh, coming into relationship with God, people getting saved and, and filled with his spirit and it was just a powerful thing, a powerful thing God was doing. I'll tell you, I gotta remind you of something here because God reminded me. You see, David prayed for his son. He was leaning into faith. He was leaning into hope in that circumstance. Who knows? God might be gracious. God continued the course of action in this particular situation. And he didn't intervene in a supernatural way. And sometimes that's the case. Sometimes that's the case. But if you were to ask David again if he would do it all over, if he would take the same approach to the same circumstance, you bet your world that he would because his dependency was on God. He leaned in him. He trusted him. He had a power of faith. And let me tell you, that's the kind of life that we should be living. Otherwise, it's going to be in darkness or despair and hopelessness and fatalism. And if you want to live there, you can live there. But I don't want to live there. I want to believe in the God of the impossible. And who knows what he can do. And again, certainly in, in different seasons over the, over the years, I've had some seasons of darkness and I've had disappointment and I had discouragement. There are a lot of things, as I mentioned, difficult and times I wanted to walk away. But about the time I would bail, I'd go back to the two words, who knows? Who knows? A month from now. You know, months from now. Weeks from now. Who knows today? God might superintend. Who knows? I remember right after we got married and uh, we started talking about, you know, the kind of family we want. We're excited about having a family. And, and so we thought, you know, about two years into our marriage, it's time to start to have a family. So we started and, and a year goes by and no child. Two years go by, no child. We're seeing our, our you know, Karen's siblings start to have children. And, and, and wow, what a, how exciting that was. And but we didn't have any. We so wanted a family. But we kept praying and people would pray with us. Four years go by, no child. Six years, no child. Ten years go by. And we're thinking, well, God, I guess, I guess it's just not in for us to have a family. But we're going to trust you. I'll never forget, same week as this week, 1994. All of a sudden, a phone call. A phone call from some friends of ours who had been in the country of Romania and administered there and said I don't know if you've been watching the media but the Ceausescu government has just fallen and we are we are uh, the the country's opening up and if you remember thousands of orphans in Romania I mean it was a horrible sight, and they were opening up for people to go long story short Karen and I went over there what's fascinating is Karen is Romanian her grandparents immigrated from romania to the to the states in the early 1900s so there was heritage there i'll never forget we went into an orphanage hospital and rooms after rooms of babies literally just laying on the filthy floors and they were swaddled and, and tight you know couldn't move their arms and legs and 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 distant stares why that lost lostness because nobody, they had never been held, never been held or loved. And all of a sudden, we have a chance to choose, to choose a baby and bring them home. Not only did we choose one, we chose two. Not only two, we chose three. <laughs> and we brought them home and our home became their home. Our oldest son, Davis, he graduated from Southeastern did his undergrad and his master's, and now he's serving our nation in D.C. and the capital of our nation. Our oldest uh, daughter, is, is she's, uh, she's a senior this year at Southeastern and studying in children and family ministries. Our youngest son is a junior, and he's studying history. It's an amazing story. It's an amazing story what God did. And I'm, I am so glad... Karen and I kept leaning into faith and we didn't default to the worst case and hopeless side of things and just walk away from God. You didn't give us a family. You didn't. But we kept staying true because who knows what God will do. So, so what about you? How are you going to walk into your future today? Don't, don't stay in the safety zone. Don't stay comfortable. Don't keep spinning out. Worst case scenarios. take a step of faith. See what God wants to do in your life. You'll never know unless you do. Scripture says the eyes of the Lord search to and fro. Why? Because he's looking for hearts that will fully belong to him and he wants to strongly support them. As we close this message out this morning, one final life value. At the end of James' letter, he says like Elijah, he says you've got to take steps of faith. And then in his final words, what does he say? If one of you should wander from the truth, and someone should bring that person back. He says, remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover a multitude of sins. And what James is saying, when, when it comes to our faith in the God of the impossible, when it comes to who knows, his final sentence is saying, In in the midst of all of that, if you do nothing else that I've told you, go out and find a wayward, isolated, alienated person that doesn't even know God, who's also going through struggles and difficulties and, and tough experiences. And you lead them by the hand and take them. Introduce them to Jesus and put their hand in there in God's hand because one of the most important values of all, it's all about people. It's all about people. And the single most endeavor you can engage in is the people business every single day of your life. Because when you get to the end of the light of your life and you stare, death right in the face. I'm going to tell you this. If you do invest in people, you'll be so glad for every investment that you made in a human being. Every time that you reached out and you showed care and compassion and you showed love and tried to take that hand that was disconnected from God and you connected to God, it'll be worth it. It'll be worth it because it's all about people. It's loving people. It's serving people. It's sharing the love of Christ, people, even with hardcore cases. Why? Because who knows what God can do when you come and be light because Jesus is in you, bringing his hope to their life. Who knows what he will do for them? But in the process, who knows what he will do for you? Thank you so much for joining us. Here at CFA Church, it is our deepest hope that you have found the place that you can call home. For more information about this community or to find out how you can connect, simply head over to cfachurch.com where you can plan a visit right from the website. It is our prayer that you will continue to love Jesus and change the world. God bless you.